I'd ask you to take your copy of God's Word and uh, open it again to Mark's Gospel, uh, Mark chapter 4. You'll find Mark's Gospel, the second book of the New Testament uh, in your Bibles, uh, the second of uh, four what we call Gospels. These are uh, early biographies of the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. Mark well, was not a direct eyewitness of Jesus, but was himself a ministry partner and companion uh, on the mission field with Peter the Apostle. And in many ways, uh, Mark's gospel is uh, very likely something like Peter's gospel as told, as written uh, down by Mark. Today, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, a sermon that I've titled, A Parable About Parables. If there's one silly thing that I obsess about way too much in the spring and the summertime, it's the grass in my backyard. When we put our lawn in about four years ago after moving into our, our house, well, after a year of moving rock and then getting ready for a lawn, I, I chose not to sod the lawn because, friends, I'm cheap. I chose instead to seed the lawn. Somebody said amen when I said I'm cheap. I chose to seed the lawn. I took out several inches of dirt compacted by the gravel that had been on top of it for many years. I tilled in the recommended amount of compost and topsoil into the sand beneath. I scattered and I raked in the seed. I blocked off the area for several weeks so that the dog would not dig in the soil where the seeds were germinating. Not a lot of good that little fence did, but you know how dogs are. Then the next year, the grass struggled. The first year it came up, the second year it struggled. So I was fiddling with the sprinklers, I was aerating the soil, uh, added some soil amendments to help the grass to be able to take root. The year after that was the same thing, grass struggling again. So I started a fertilization regime, uh, a regimen, along with more aeration and now dethatching the lawn and trying to get a, a pattern of lawn care into place. And then last year the grubs came. After the grub, man, y'all got grubs too. Listen, I have found some stuff. I have some extra in my garage. If you got grubs, I'm your guy. So I treated the grass for the grubs. And after the grub treatment took care of those little beasts last year, I was left with bare patches in multiple parts of my lawn where they had eaten all of the roots of the grass. And in those areas where it's bare, now we're back to like square one where we were four years ago. Why is it so hard to grow grass in the desert? And I suppose that's part of the problem, isn't it? The soil of New Mexico is not made for grass. Now, you can grow it, and lots of people like me are crazy enough to try, but this much is true. To have a lush, verdant lawn in New Mexico, you've got to do a lot of work to create and nurture soil conditions that are favorable, that are receptive, that are nourishing for a lawn. In Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, Jesus tells a parable, parable of the sower, or the parable of the seeds, or the parable of the soils. It's hard to know what the parable's specifically about. It's all of those. He tells this parable to reveal that as God spreads the word of the kingdom among all kinds of people, as he plants the seed of the gospel, that some will receive it and bear fruit, while others will not receive it and not bear fruit. The main idea of this passage and of our message today is this, that the message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, will bear much fruit in the lives of those who are prepared to receive it, in the soil of the hearts of those who have taken time 
and have prepared to receive that word. As we consider this idea from Jesus' parable and, uh, and teaching in between, let us today consider the quality of the soil that is our own hearts. How do we receive the word of God's kingdom, the gospel? How is it bearing fruit in us? Is it bearing fruit in us? What sins might we need to confess and repent of that our souls might be more receptive and fruitful with the gospel? What distractions and worries might we need to loose our hold of so that the kingdom of God might flourish in us? The message of the kingdom will bear much fruit in the lives of those who are prepared to receive it. Have you prepared your heart to receive that word? Let's stand as you're comfortably able as we honor God by reading His Word, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. <clears throat> we were introduced here, uh, last couple of weeks, we saw one of those Markin sandwiches where Jesus brackets one event in Jesus' life with uh, two other things on the other side. Here in Mark chapter 4 in the parable about parables, we have another little sort of mini sandwich, maybe a finger sandwich if you like that, or a sandwich cookie. Uh, where we have a parable on one side and the explanation of the parable on the other, and in the, me in the middle, a teaching about what the parables are for. Mark writes in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1 of Mark 4, Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's word. You may be seated. The message of the kingdom will bear fruit in the hearts and lives of those who have prepared to receive it. In this mini-sandwich episode, parable, teaching, explanation of the parable, we see three things or three truths that, uh, that, that are there at the fore for us. First of all, we see that the parables call for careful listening. The parables 
call for careful listening. From this point forward, we're still going to see in Mark's gospel Jesus healing and casting out demons, but we're also going to encounter much of his teaching. And it's Jesus' preferred method when teaching crowds of people beyond just the 12 that he has called to follow him around to be his ministry partners to teach in parables. In fact, Matthew chapter 13, verse 34 says that Jesus said nothing to the crowds without a parable. Parables are these short, very memorable stories that use the daily experience of people to illustrate heavenly realities, spiritual realities. And so we find Jesus here by the Sea of Galilee again, crowded by many people again. And this time he steps into a boat, perhaps just a few feet from the shore uh, there on the Sea of Galilee to teach the crowd that has come to hear him. And he teaches them in parables, Mark says. And the first parable that he tells is this parable about a sower or some seed or some soils, maybe all of them. We'll look at the content of the parable in just a moment. But for now, look at how Jesus begins and ends the parable. He starts in verse 3 saying, listen. This is an imperative verb. It's a command. Perk up your ears. Pay attention. Focus on what I'm saying, Jesus is communicating to the crowd. And then he follows that right up with, Behold, listen, behold, this too is a command word. Look here, imagine this, take all this in, Jesus seems to be saying. He starts the parable saying, listen, behold. Then he ends the parable in verse 9 saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus uses this phrase commonly in Matthew's gospel, especially when teaching in the par- uh, through parables, and to nearly each of the seven churches in Revelation, as he speaks a word usually of correction, encouragement, call to repentance, he says to each of the churches in Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a phrase that keys us in to understand that what we have just heard from Jesus is meant to be listened to. It's meant to be internalized. It's meant to be meditated on. It's meant to be applied. And that if we're not tuned in to listen, that we may well miss the point altogether. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what Jesus is doing, see what Jesus is doing when he gives this parable. He calls the whole attention of the hearers to it. Listen, behold. And then he calls to them afterward. Keep listening. There's more to what you heard than just the story at the surface. Mind this parable for truth. The parables, friends, call for careful listening because Jesus calls us to listen carefully to them. But the parables call for careful listening as well because they're not just entertaining stories. These are plainly told illustrations that reveal kingdom realities, spiritual realities. Jesus says in verse 11 to the 12 and to the others who have stuck around after the crowd has left, He says to them, To you, it has been given the secret. The Greek word there behind that word secret is the word mysterion. It's the word we get mystery from. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But for those outside of the kingdom, everything's in parables. Everything's in these stories. It's clear to us that the parables are meant to reveal and to teach the secret or the mystery of God's kingdom. Now, don't get all messed up in your heads about that word secret or mystery as though there's no way to understand anything about the kingdom of God, that somehow it's some sort of riddle that only those who have special knowledge can figure out. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus means by secret of the kingdom, mystery of the kingdom, is that is not that the kingdom can't be known, but that what he is going to reveal about the kingdom of God through the parables has not been previously known or fully revealed. He's unveiling something that was previously veiled. So why does Jesus teach about the kingdom by means of stories, by 
by sort of veiling them behind these parables. Why not just teach them straight out, Jesus? Well, to explain this, the Lord cites in chapter 4, verse 12 of Mark's gospel from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You see the, that citation there in your Bibles, that they may see but not perceive, that they may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. When Isaiah, a prophet living about 700 years before Jesus was born, when Isaiah was called by God to warn the people of Israel to repent of their idolatry, lest God send them into exile, Isaiah asked God at his calling how long he would have to preach this difficult message. God said to him what Jesus quotes, Isaiah, you'll preach and you'll say to the people all of this, and you'll tell them you hear, but you don't understand. You see, but you don't perceive. Isaiah, keep warning them so that the dullness of their hearts will be perfectly obvious. What a wonderful calling. It's a strange thing for Jesus to quote here. Why do you teach in parables, Jesus? Well, so that seeing they might not perceive, so that hearing they might understand. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. It's a strange thing for Jesus to quote. It's a strange thing for us to consider that somehow preaching clearly will make people less inclined to understand or want to listen. But this, friends, is exactly the nature of the Word of God. It's the nature of our hearts when we are given over to sin. God's Word and the Gospel are never confused or unclear. But our inward posture, the posture of our hearts against the things of God and against the holiness of God and toward our own selfish living, it blinds us to what is obvious and deafens our ears to the truth and hardens our hearts against God's overtures of grace and mercy and invitations to repent. How many times did God send prophets to the people of Israel to say, repent of these sins, and yet they didn't? The parables, like Isaiah's ministry, are not puzzling except to those who have no desire to hear what Jesus is truly saying through them. The parables are simple stories that illustrate in beautiful ways the truth of the good news of the kingdom of God. Those who do not listen carefully for the truth of the kingdom will miss it entirely. And this is true not only of the parables, but also of all of Scripture. We believe in what we call the perspicuity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, that, that this book that we hold in our laps and, and perhaps are looking on at various screens uh, maybe in our laps as well, this book, these words, divinely authored and written by faithful men, is able to be understood and that you can understand it without a PhD. From the youngest child to the oldest senior adult and to people of all mental cap uh, capacities, this word speaks. God's word speaks. And though there are 9 billion people on the planet, we believe that this word speaks one consistent message. And that message is that God is pursuing sinners, that He's calling them to repentance, that He's saving them by grace through His Son's death and resurrection in our place. It's a message that can be heard and can be understood. It's not hidden. Here's a grave danger, though. In our great capacity, we too often assume or believe that the Bible, because it is an old book, is an irrelevant book. And so we write it off as ancient, as primeval, even primitive, worthless. Or in all of our enlightenment as people of the 21st century, we believe that we are the masters of meaning. And so we assume that this book and its message are wide open to infinite interpretations and applications. There's 9 billion people in the world. The Bible must mean 9 billion different things, right? 
Brothers and sisters, neither of these is the case. This book is not open to an infinite number of potentially contradictory interpretations. Read it on its own terms and listen for the clear message of the hope of the gospel in it. Neither is this book and its message irrelevant to us today simply because it is old. It may be ancient, yes, but the problem of sin is persistently before us. Our need for salvation is always relevant. Our need to be saved is never irrelevant. The holiness of God has not changed. The tomb in which Christ's body was laid is still empty to this day. There is truth without mixture of error in this book, and God calls us to listen carefully that we might not miss what it says and that we might not miss the peace with God and abundant life that is offered if we will listen, if we will trust on Christ, if we will follow after Him in faith. The parables, like God's Word, call for care, like all of God's Word, call for careful listening. It has been said, and I think the way that Mark frames this parable and its explanation, that this parable of the sower, of the soils, of the seeds, that this parable is really a parable about parables. Or said a little bit differently, it's a parable about how people will hear the rest of the parables Jesus will tell and the message of the kingdom that all of the parables communicate. And to be sure, Jesus says in verse 13 that if his disciples understand this parable, they'll be able to understand the others. Did you catch that? That is to say, if you have ears to hear this parable, you'll have ears to hear the others. But the parables call for careful listening. We learn second in this passage that not all who hear the word will listen. The parables call for careful listening, and a lot of people will hear the message of the kingdom through them, but not everybody who hears them will actually listen. You who are parents know what it's like, or you who are wives know what it's like to be talking to your children or talking to your husband for minutes on end, all to realize that they have not been listening to a word that you've been saying. They heard everything, but then pay attention to any of it. Come on, men, we can listen better. Not all who hear the word of the gospel will listen. That was weird. Oh, it was a, a bottle. I thought it was a, sorry. I heard a ping sound, and I thought it was the, my microphone. Let's try that again. Not all who hear the word will listen. If this were a podcast, I'd say we're going to edit that out. This parable that Jesus tells about the sower, about the seeds, about the soils, is really a story about two kinds of people and how they receive the message of the kingdom. On one hand, there are people who have ears to hear, who listen to the message of the kingdom, and on the other hand, there are those who don't. The first three seeds or the first three soils illustrate that not all who hear the word will listen to it. In the parable, the sower is most immediately a stand-in, a figure for Jesus. And the seed is the word of the kingdom. He makes that much clear to us. Jesus came preaching this message. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 said that Jesus was going about Galilee saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is the sower of the seed of the word of the kingdom. And that word that he proclaims falls on unlistening hearts in a few different ways. He illustrates these through three kinds of soils or seed on three kinds of soils. First is the seed along the path. This seed falls on hard ground, which represents, as Jesus says, a hardened heart, incapable of understanding the word of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. 
For the person who has so hardened their heart, like the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus has already encountered so many times in Mark's gospel, though the gospel is heard, it cannot be internalized. And so Satan is able to continue to deceive and to delude the hard-hearted people in their presumed pride and arrogance against the truth of God. This person, we may presume, understands, may even understand the contours of the gospel intellectually, but will not believe it and has not applied it to his own life. To be a person in the situation of the seed along the hard path is a precarious place to be, a dangerous place to be, to hear the message, but to disregard it out of hand. Friend, is your heart hard to the gospel? Do you resist the call to repent of sins and believe on Christ? Are you inclined to think that Christians are somehow mentally unstable and the warning to repent of sin and man's need for salvation is somehow something ludicrous? If so, the seed on the hard path eaten up by birds, never germinating, never sprouting, may well illustrate your heart. Students, your friends at school who look at you strangely because you're a Christian may call you names or otherwise insult you for your faith. Uh, Let Jesus' description of those who are deaf to the gospel strengthen your heart today. There's a reason that others see you and see Jesus as offensive. And that reason is not found in you and who you are, unless you're just being a jerk, but I'm assuming the best of you and that you're not. The reason that they think you're weird and may insult you and may belittle you for your faith is found in the hardness of their hearts against Christ himself. Students, if you know hard-hearted, gospel-deaf people, pray for them. The only thing that can soften a heart made hard by sin is the softening grace of God. Pray intently for them and keep explaining the gospel to them. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 17, that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep proclaiming the hope there is in Jesus. Keep explaining the the hope of salvation until you're blue in the face and want to put your head through a wall for having to say it so many times, and then pray all the harder for those who are hard-hearted around you. So there's a seed on the hard path. There's also a picture of an unlistening heart in the seed that falls on rocky soil. This is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, Jesus says. Now, like weeds that grow up in gravel, we live in New Mexico, grass doesn't grow, weeds do. Like weeds that grow up in gravel, there's not much for the root of the weeds to grab hold of. And so they are all the more susceptible to heat and lack of moisture. This is the one, Jesus says, who, though they respond initially with excitement about the kingdom, as the troubles of life, specifically uh, persecution from the world and affliction that comes with following Jesus on account of the gospel, when those things come, they have nothing to help them to weather the storm of persecution and suffering, and eventually they'll denounce the faith and fall away. This could be compared to a person who is emotionally moved by the gospel because it strikes a chord of endearment but who has no deeper faith in the Christ of the gospel to enable them to endure. Have you ever known a person who made a profession of faith in Christ, who quickly began to consume scripture and other books and podcasts about theology and mission and the gospel and doctrine, and then ran up against someone who threatened them for their faith or made their life otherwise difficult for it, and then immediately they fell away from the gospel altogether? That's the rocky-soiled heart. The 2016 Martin Scorsese film, Silence, portrays a story of two Jesuit priests and missionaries uh, to Japan in the 1600s. 
They go looking for a fellow priest of theirs who disappeared there in Japan years before, whom they are afraid has been captured or killed by the Japanese shogunate. But they also go intent to preach the gospel. And one of their early converts is a village drunk there in the town that they are in, and his name is Kichijiro. It's not long before the shogunate begins to threaten the Japanese locals under threat of torture to turn away from Christianity. In fact, they have tortured uh, people for their faith. They have killed people for their faith and, and done so before the watching eyes of the Jesuit priests who were sharing the gospel with them to, in order to deter them from sharing the gospel more. And under pressure from the Japanese shogunate, Kichijiro turns on his faith and he turns on his friends. And in fear of persecution, he withers into a cowardly traitor of his own Christian villagers. The priests later offer him forgiveness when he repents in sorrow, only to repeat the fearful treason again and again and again in the film. Kichijiro is a picture of the rocky-soiled heart, receptive to the gospel initially, but unfaithful in the face of persecution. Matthew 10, verse 22, Jesus says that you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Are you like Kichijiro? Does the threat of persecution for the sake of Jesus cause your knees to buckle and your heart to race? Fear screams often so loudly in our hearts that one cannot hear the gospel call through it. Fear of persecution, fear of suffering will prevent the message of the gospel from taking root in your life. Do you know a rocky-soiled believer? How might you supplement their knowledge of Christ and the promise with the pro and the promise of heaven that they might put down roots that will draw upon the water of life in Christ when the hot sun of persecution blazes upon them? Two pictures of unlistening hearts so far, a hard path, rocky soil. A third picture of an unlistening heart is the seed that is sown among the thorns. Now this is the person who hears the word and makes a profession of faith, but for whom the world and its material possessions are what really own their heart. When money dries up and the bills pile up, or when money abounds and material goods follow after, the gospel seed in that person's life is choked out by the overwhelming attachment to material possessions or the lack thereof material possessions. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, he'll love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And dear friends, you need not be insanely wealthy, like Warren Buffett wealthy, Elon Musk wealthy, to serve money. You can be dirt poor and be a slave to money. If fear drowns out the call of the gospel, love of money and worry over the absence of money will shut the gospel out completely. Money is not itself the root of all evil, but as 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money comes and money goes. When the market is high and your bank account is full, it can buy you lots of fun stuff. And when money is short and collectors come calling, the absence of money can feel absolutely crushing. The one who loves money, the one who serves at the altar of the almighty dollar, cannot hear the better call of the kingdom that says from Hebrews 13:5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not all who hear the gospel will listen to it and believe. The seed on the hard path, the seed on the rocky soil, the seed among the thorns illustrate this. Their lives will demonstrate a lack of faith, 
an abundance of fear, and, and an absence of fruit. This parable is not necessarily meant to give us permanent categories to put people into. So don't read this parable that way and then go out into the world or into your Bible study groups and go, oh, that person's this kind and that person's this kind. As though somehow once a seed among thorns, always a seed among thorns. But this parable is meant to illustrate what keeps people from hearing the message of Christ. These are not meant as an exhaustive list of life circumstances that prevent people from bearing gospel fruit, but these do serve as helpful examples with which we can compare our lives and our own response to the gospel. Friend, do you have ears to hear? Are you actively checking your heart for hardness against Christ? Are you regularly fighting fear with faith and a sure knowledge of the promise of God to raise His people from the dead? Are you even now trusting more in Jesus who will himself never leave you nor forsake you even as you make your monthly budget and give precious portions of that budget to God's work through his church? There are at least three kinds of people who hear the gospel but don't listen. But there are then, finally, those who listen and receive the word and bear much fruit. This, this parable is not all bad. There are those who listen and receive the word and bear much fruit. This is the seed that falls in good soil. The seed that falls into the good soil is the person who does not merely hear the word of the kingdom, but who understands the gospel as well. He has understood it intellectually, he's internalized it affectively, and he's responded in faith to it. This is the one who has seen with his eyes, who has heard with his ears, who has understood with his heart, who has repented of sin and received spiritual healing and restoration through Jesus. It is clear that the aspect of heartfelt understanding and application of the good news of the kingdom to the inner man, to the person inside, to your own heart, this is what separates this individual from the others. In the case of the seed that falls among the soil that was well prepared for it, this person is not one who can be, be deceived by Satan any longer. This is one who will withstand, the pers withstand persecution for the gospel with faithfulness. This is the person who is satisfied in God so as to endure with steadfastness until the end and then enter into eternal life. This, the seed and the good soil, this is the true believer. And true believers bear lots of fruit. Jesus says that the, one, the ones who have ears to hear internalize the gospel call and they welcome the kingdom of God. And in so doing, they bear 30, 60, even 100-fold fruit now, for an average farmer in Jesus' day, a 10 or a 20-fold return on a seeded crop was an impressive crop. It was, that was a successful season, maybe, maybe especially so. But as regards the word of the kingdom of God and the announcement of Jesus, who is the Christ, when that seed, when that news of the gospel lands on a heart that's been softened by the reign of God's grace and fertilized by the prayer of faithful others and made ready through humility, well, that seed puts down roots and it grows tall and it spreads. Jesus mostly, most likely has, has in mind a, a wheat crop or a grain crop here. The fruit of wheat is the kernel in the top of the stalk. And wheat kernels are seeds. The same is true of an apple seed that grows into an apple tree that grows apples that have seeds in them, or avocados, or zucchini, or corn, or bananas, I think. Do bananas have seeds? You get the idea. A seed planted in healthy soil, nurtured and nourished, 
results in a fruitful crop that produces more seeds. Those who listen to the message of the gospel, those who internalize it and believe it, who nourish their faith with study and prayer and fellowship with the saints, for them, the fruit of the gospel seed planted in their lives is more gospel seeds, more gospel proclamation, more gospel declaration, more gospel application. Members of First West, fruitful Christians are those whose lives bear resemblance to the seed of the gospel we have received. And the fruit produced in us is more gospel seed. This means, brothers and sisters, that a fruitful gospel church will be full of gospel preaching. A fruitful gospel church will be full of gospel praying. A fruitful gospel church will be full of gospel care. And most certainly, it will be full of gospel multiplication. Navel oranges are seedless. In fact, it is impossible to plant a navel orange tree. Did you know that? The first seedless orange tree was an agricultural anomaly. anomaly. It was an accident. Every navel, orange, every navel orange tree in the world came from grafting navel orange branches onto normal orange tree sprigs. Navel oranges are a frankenfruit. Now, they may be delicious and seedless, but they're not fruitful in any sense that resembles the gospel. There's no such thing as a seedless Christian. If God has opened your ears to hear the gospel, if He has given us faith to believe and to trust in Jesus, to repent from sin, our lives will be meant to produce abundant fruit of that same saving gospel. The good news of the kingdom should never be on the lips, uh, excuse me, the good news of the kingdom should ever be on the lips of the genuine Christian. The growing believer will not only declare the hope of the gospel, but they'll work with God's help to expand the reach of good soil. They'll weed out the thorns and the thistles of worry and love of money through faithful trust in Christ and generous stewardship of their money and possessions for God's glory as examples to those who are being choked out by these concerns. Believers full of gospel seed will help remove the rocks of fear and doubt in the hearts of others through intentional prayer and reminders of the promise of the resurrection from the dead and of the coming new creation. Fruitful gospel Christians Seedy gospel Christians will combat cowardice with courage modeled after Christ himself who was hated by the world but who did not return evil for evil but instead suffered according to God's plan. Christians who produce much fruit will take in hand the pickaxe of prayer and the compost of compassionate, persistent evangelism in the power of God to soften hearts that have been hardened against Jesus. And to be sure, the one who hears, the one who not only hears but also listens to the gospel, will take after the sower himself, indiscriminately scattering the message that Jesus saves all who come to him alone for saving, knowing that whether they plant or water or reap the harvest, that it is God who causes the growth. It is God who does the regenerating work of salvation through the Holy Spirit, bringing the seed of the kingdom to life in the hearts of those who believe. Faithful Christians are just faithful farmers, sowing seed, praying for rain, waiting in eager anticipation for a day of blessed harvest. The parables call for careful listening because not all who hear will actually listen. But the good news is that those who do hear and listen and internalize that message will bear abundant fruit 30, 60, even 100-fold.
the message of the kingdom will bear much fruit in the lives of those who are prepared to receive it. In the weeks to come, we're going to hear and read many more of Jesus' parables about the kingdom and how it grows. The question is, will you have ears to hear? Will I have ears to hear? Listening to the word of God as Mark records the teaching of Jesus, will I bear the kind of spiritual fruit that Jesus says his people will? What about just now, right now in this moment? How is the word of God taking root and sprouting in you this day? Does the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, does it spur you by your trusting in it to proclaim it today? Is there a friend or a family member with a hard or a stony heart for whom you need to pray this morning? Is your love of money, is your anxiety over a lack of money, is it choking out your ability to trust Christ who never disappoints? Do you need to repent of those things today? Have you, friend, for the first time in your life, found the message of Jesus strangely new and delightful? That there's forgiveness of sins by placing your life in the hands of the one who died to forgive them and was raised from the dead. Coming here not believing, do you find yourself now believing that Jesus is God's son? That he is your savior? And do you now sense the need to make that known and to begin a life following after him? How has the word landed on your heart? Each week in worship, we have a time of response to God's word. The moment, moments right after a sermon, whether we're spent in song or in quiet prayer or a short hymn of praise, is the opportunity we take every week to ask God or to sing in prayer to him, Lord, help me hear your word clearly and help me to answer obediently. The time of response is not the time to zip up your bags and put away your Bibles and get ready for Bible study. It's the time to respond to the word. If your response today needs to be prayer for the non-Christians you know, I invite you to come, maybe come here to the front or gather with a friend who, uh, or family member who might know that same person and pray for them. If your response needs to be repentance of known sins that prevent you from being fruitful with the gospel you've believed, come, let's me and you pray together. Find another brother or sister in this room and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to sanctify your heart today. Do you need to, do you need to express your faith in Jesus for the first time? I invite you, hear the call of the kingdom today. Lift your eyes to see Jesus the King and follow Him. If you need to make your faith in Jesus known publicly today, during this time, song of response, that's your time to come and let me know. We might let the church know as well and rejoice in the fruit of the gospel bearing out in your life. We've heard God's word. I pray we have been listening. Let's now prepare ourselves to respond to it. Let's pray.